Hi, travelers. You can listen to us on your travels on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, and more. Make sure you check out our link tree in the description of this episode where you can find the links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter accounts. Okay, guys, today is Saturday, September 16th. Football Week 2 NFL coming up this weekend. But first, I want to get into the uh, uh, Thursday night football game. Excuse me. Uh, Vikings, Eagles, very bad game in the beginning. Uh, great game in the second half, though. Let's talk about this game, though. Pa- unpack it a little bit. Uh, A.J. Brown, not many touches, but Deontay Swift carried the Eagles to a victory in uh, Philadelphia on Thursday night. Uh Obviously, played for the Lions last year. This was his homecoming game for the Eagles. It was actually he went to high school in Philadelphia, and like I said, had just an amazing game. Kirk Cousins actually played really, really well. Uh, might actually have one of the best stat lines all, of all week two. Um, what other kind of big takeaways do you guys take from Thursday night? Uh, like I said, Kirk Cousins played amazing. Still couldn't get the victory. Uh, but the Eagles were uh, able to kind of squeak away a, a win here. Uh, what other uh, what other things you want to put away for this game? Vikings definitely turned the ball over a lot in this game. Uh, they had, what, four or five turnovers, I believe. Yeah, four turnovers. Kirk Cousins were, uh, was definitely – he definitely had a good game of throwing the ball, three touchdowns, but the Vikings just couldn't get by – this Eagles defense with the turnovers. The Eagles won the turnover battle. The Vikings, uh, Dalvin Cook is a very big loss, and the running game is proving that in Minnesota. But Jeff, Justin Jefferson did have a good game, as well as uh, as well as Osborne and the receiver who who caught the touchdown pass. Who was it in the uh, in the third quarter that made it twenty seven fourth Madison? Addison, Jordan Addison, good game as well. But I still think the uh, – but still the Eagles had a good game. Still very choppy in the passing game. Very vanilla, not aggressive enough. Jalen Hurts had 183 yards, a touchdown, and an interception. But DeAndre Swift was the MVP of this game for the Eagles offense. But the defense, as like I said, stopping the run, Jalen Carter and Jordan Davis – proving to be good picks for the Eagles up front, but they still got some, uh, they still got some work to do even on the defense, but there's injuries there, but the offense still, still very vanilla in the passing game. I think you feel decent if you're the Eagles, because mm-hmm. you've scored 59 points in two games. You've won both of them against the Patriots who are a fringe playoff team and the Vikings who were a playoff team last year. And yet people are pondering whether, you know, the offensive coordinator right now is not doing a great job or, you know, that's what happens when you go to the Super Bowl is you get coaches that get poached by other teams. Shane Steichen now with the Colts, Jonathan Gannon with the Eagles or the Cardinals. And they're not completely in sync right now, but it's only the first two games. You wouldn't expect that. And then on the other side, the Vikings close game luck has started to turn against them last year, 11 and 0 in one score games this year already. Oh, and two in one score games. And that defense is a problem. Kirk Cousins played great, but only eight carries for Anthony Madison. That's just not nearly balanced enough, and their defense gives up too many big plays. That's a big problem for this Viking team, and I think that's why they're going to take a step back this year. So I think if you're the Eagles, you're still feeling good because you're the first 2-0 and team in the league, and you feel like you can play a whole lot better than you're playing right now. DeAndre Swift, no doubt about it, the number one guy. 28 carries. You know, A lot of people wondered, 
with him, Rashad Petty, Boston Scott, how are they going to split those carries? Well, DeAndre Swift got 28 of them. Now, will that be the case in the future? Do they just ride the hot hand? Or did DeAndre Swift solidify himself as the number one guy? I happen to think it's the latter. Now, another thing that the Eagles, they could correct it. They have until Monday night of next week against Tampa Bay to correct all of this with the passing game and the defense. But I still think uh, still think I, I still think this is all correctable. I know there's two new coordinators on offense and defense, and of course, no preseason play at all for any of the starters. Kind of hurts. We talk about Kirk Cousins in prime time. This game was definitely this loss was definitely not on him. Um, like you guys, like you guys said, they had four turnovers this game. Uh, all together this year for the Vikings, they've had six fumbles this season. The Vikings just can't hold on to the ball. But Kirk Cousins, though, uh, 31 for 44, 364 yards, four touchdowns. Like I said, he might actually have one of the best stat lines of any quarterback in week two uh, early, in the, early in the week here. I did hear something really cool last night on the uh, postgame show, and I actually saw some tweets about it this, this morning, too. What are you guys' thoughts on the, the potential of Kirk Cousins going to the Jets if the uh, you know the Jets trading for Kirk Cousins if uh, the Vikings get off to a pretty bad start here early in the season? I thought that was a pretty interesting thing. Yeah. I, want to get you, I want to get you guys' thoughts on that. I think it's a smart move for the Vic- for the Jets to get Kirk Cousins. If the Vikings are not going to are not going to contend. I, I think I think you pull the trigger if you're the Jets and. You could contend. I know the offensive line is is in complete shambles, but you have a top defense. You have good wide receivers there too, and you have a good running back core as well. I don't think it's going to happen because it takes two to make the trade. Certainly makes sense for the Jets. Makes no sense for the Vikings. They're not going to do it. This isn't like the NBA where you're going to dump a guy and end up getting a bunch of prospects. Doesn't typically happen that way in the NFL. And I mean. Are we sure the Vikings are going to be out of contention? Because this would have to happen by week eight, week nine. Like, I don't think they're one of the worst teams in the league necessarily. So I just, I can't see it happening. Plus, you also have to remember the salary that's on Aaron Rodgers' books still for next year and beyond. That's a whole lot of money to be paying two quarterbacks. And if Aaron Rodgers does come back next year like he plans, you can't keep both of them. So I just, it's a nice thought. It's a nice theory. I just don't see how it can actually happen. Yeah, and going back to the Eagles, too, we mentioned the defensive problems that they've had. Injuries, though, definitely are a big part of that. I mean, uh, Reed Blankenship's out, Nicobe Dean's out, Bradbury's out in the, you know, in the backfield with Blankenship. Uh, so definitely had some injuries for the, for the Eagles that's contributing to their bad defense. I think they'll turn it around, though. Like you said, Justin, they have a long time to really figure things out before week three comes in here. They don't play until uh, next Monday night, which is, I think, it's probably not even until, yeah, the, they don't play till the 25th, should be uh, next Monday night. So they have a long, long time to figure out their defensive problems. At Tampa Bay. Let's move on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But Vikings, though, just before we move on, back to them. Tough schedule kind of coming up for the Vikings. They uh, they do play, I'm looking at it right now, they do play the Chargers uh, next week. They are at home for that game. Then they can get a bounce back game against the Panthers, but then uh, week five they actually play the Chiefs and then the 49ers in week seven. So they definitely don't have an easy schedule coming up. And we said it earlier, uh, I think it was last week we said it with the week one preview is the Vikings had a lot of close games last year. We think that their luck uh, coming out with these close game wins might actually be uh, faulting for them, which is going to lead them having a worse schedule or a worse record this year than they did last year ultimately. 
Let's move on to week two, though. I want to hear you guys. Is what do you guys think is the closest game this week? We got a, a lot of close games, I think, on the board. A lot of potentials to be uh, nail biters. But I want to get your guys' thoughts on what you think is going to be the closest game this week. Stack, we'll start with you. Any any game you have circled that's going to be a you know one score game, if not less. I don't know if it's necessarily going to be a good game, but I think the closest game might be Colts Texans because you got two rookie quarterbacks and Anthony Richardson, C.J. Stroud. You've got two division rivals that know each other well. And remember, last year they played to a 2020 tie in the Week One opener. This is a series that has regularly been close over the years. So again, maybe not the best football, but as far as close games, I think that's got a chance to be one of them. And then Packers Falcons is the one that kind of sticks out to me. Atlanta's a one and a half point favorite, even after the way the Packers looked last week against the Bears. I think that's going to be a fascinating game to see if Desmond Ritter can kind of take that leap up. Bijan Robinson, we know how good he is. We know the Packers can run the ball, but that seems a suspiciously low. Like I, I was a little surprised that Atlanta was favored to begin with. I thought maybe Green Bay would be a one and a half point favorite, but I think those are the two that I'm looking at as far as if you're picking close games, those are the two I would go with. Yeah, I'm going to go with um, Seahawks and Lions. Detroit coming off a really good victory against the Kansas City Chiefs uh, in week one. Pete Carroll, though, historic in uh, comeback losses when he was with the Seahawks. Uh, in his career, he is actually better than 60% against the spread as an underdog coming off of a loss. So this game is going to be really close, I think. The Seahawks have a lot to prove after a really bad loss last weekend, and the Lions are coming off really hot, obviously, as well, after week one beating the, uh, the Super Bowl uh, champions in the Kansas City Chiefs. Geno Smith had a tough first game as well. He's going to bounce back, I think. He only completed 16 of his 26 passes in week one for 112 yards. He can't be any better than that. Uh, he can't be any worse than that, I mean, excuse me. They're going to come out a lot better, and it's going to be a really close game. I think the spread right now, if we're looking at it, is minus four and a half for the Lions. I, uh, I'm definitely taking the Seahawks to cover that, if maybe not even just win outright. Justin, how about you? What, uh, what close game do you have circled this week? The close game I do have circled, I have the – Chiefs and the Jaguars. I think that could be a very close game to watch. I mean, if Jacksonville starts 2-0 and and Kansas City starts 0-2, those are big playoff implications early. I know it's week two, but they're, they're both Kansas City and Jacksonville would be the favorites in their division. NFL, uh, known for its uh, really good storylines, intriguing storylines. Every week has some, and I want to hear what you guys think about week two. Are any good storylines coming up, uh, you know, outside the game, kind of outside the field? What, what do you guys have circled as a, as a good storyline that we should be watching out for in week one? Or, or, excuse me, week two. Zach, anything you want to be looking out for this week? Yeah, I'm interested to see how the favorites bounce back. You know, the Bengals have the Ravens this week. I think that's going to be a great game, maybe the best game of week two in actuality. Chiefs, Jaguars, let's see if Kansas City, could they possibly start 0-2? I'm not sure that that's going to happen, but – you know, the Chargers also start 0-1. So some teams that we all thought were major contenders and teams we thought were really good, how are they going to look? Because there's a big difference between starting 1-1 versus 0-2. You know, you can throw the Giants in there against Cardinals. Then again, if they lose the Cardinals, they got bigger problems than just starting 0-2. So I want to see how the teams that we perceived as really good coming into the year bounce back in Week 2 because the old saying in college especially is the biggest growth the team has is between Week 1 and Week 2. I'm not sure that it's necessarily that big in the NFL, but you certainly don't want to start the year 0-2 because then you start to not panic, but you start getting a little bit worried. Yeah, my what I want to look out for this week is uh, Jordan Love. I mean, Jordan Love played a pretty bad team last week against Chicago. 
He played really well, though. Obviously, we all know three touchdowns, 245 yards of passing with a just over 123 passer rating, which is really, really good. But it also is Chicago, who not only is it a bad team, but Packers just continue to have their number year in and year out. Atlanta defense played really well last week, though, against the Panthers, uh, especially just, uh, Jesse Bates on Atlanta. Um, like, yeah, I, I am surprised, though, Zach, like you said, that Atlanta is still favored in this game. Uh, it looks like the sports books aren't aren't really buying the Jordan Love hype yet. And that's kind of why it's my most intriguing storyline this week. I want to really see if, if he, can come, he can come out and play against a better defense in Atlanta than, than what he faced in week one with uh, with, with Chicago. Uh, Justin, how about you? Any, any uh, intriguing storylines this week? The Denver Broncos are very intriguing this week, hosting the Washington Commanders at home. Washington could go 2-0. and Obviously, they're going through a transition year with the new ownership. But Denver going 0-2? It's time to start with the alarm bells with the Denver Broncos. If they start 0-2 under this under Sean Payton and with, with Russell Wilson leading the team at quarterback, there's going to be a lot of concerns in Denver if they don't win this week. It could be it could reek of last year with the Broncos. If that's that's an intriguing storyline. If the Broncos go 0-2. How about uh, any upsets alert? I know it's not – you can't really say upsets in the NFL. Every team is so good. But any, uh, I should say, surprises of the week that you guys uh, might see coming out of week two. Zach, how about you? Any uh, surprises of the week, surprising outcomes? I think the Seahawks have a real chance against the Lions. This is about as low as people can be on the Seahawks, about as high as people can be on the Lions. And we know that the Lions aren't necessarily known for handling success. They haven't had a ton of success in recent years. So it's just – I wonder how they're going to handle beating the defending champs, having 10 days off. Maybe you get a little bit rusty. And Seattle went there and beat them 48-45 in a shootout last year. And again, just when everybody's on one side, I typically like to go the other side. So I, I'm going to say Seattle beats the Lions. And I think you could also make an argument for the Bears over the Bucks. Tampa's a three-point favorite. They're 1-0. I still don't think they're all that good. And Justin Fields, I don't think it's as bad as he played in week one. So I'm keeping an eye on those two games. I'm going to go with the Jets actually winning against Dallas this weekend. Uh, the spread right now, currently, if I can find it, uh, Cowboys by nine and a half. I, I think Jets might even have a chance to win this game outright. That's why it's my upset of the week, my surprise of the week. Uh, Jets defense is not the same defense as the, uh, the Giants, what they saw in week one. It's going to be up to Dak to really uh, have, you know, to get Dallas to win here. Uh, this is not the same Zach Wilson also. I said it kind of last week as well. He's had Aaron Rodgers in his ear the whole year, the whole offseason. Gave him a lot of tips, gave him a lot of pointers, gave him a lot of confidence too. You see Zach Wilson, uh, storylines coming out, videos coming out with him, interacting with his teammates really well, throwing some pretty good passes in training camp and practices as well. Uh, like I said, the defense for the Cowboys pretty much won the game uh, last, you know, Monday Night Football last week. Now it's going to be up to Dak to uh, do it against the Jets, and it's not the same defense that he faced in Week One. So I actually do think that the Jets do have uh, do have a chance to come out here and um, yeah, really really surprise people. And uh, maybe Zach Wilson can show the world that he's not the same Zach Wilson of last last uh, last year. Justin, how about you? Any upsets to watch out for this week? I would watch out for the Jets as well against Dallas, but I would also watch for the Panthers at home against the Saints. The Saints. Very, not an impressive win last week, but they only beat the Tennessee Titans by one point, 16 to 15. But I think Carolina 
could bounce back at home. I know they're all, they're all in one, but I think they could, I think they, they should be able to bounce back at home against the saints. That's an upset to look out for this week. How about high scoring games? Any uh, shootouts this week you guys want to look out for? Uh, Zach, how about you? Any, what's a high scoring game that you think is going to come out of week two? High scoring. I'm going to go Chiefs Jags. I'm saying it's a shootout. I'm saying, you know, with Chris Jones back, even with that being the case, Kansas State's defense was fine against Detroit, but not spectacular. But you got Patrick Mahomes, you got Trevor Lawrence, you got all the weapons, you got Calvin Ridley coming back for the Jags, had a big game last week. Uh, Travis Kelsey should be back. That's a game that screams excitement, screams points. So I'm going to go Chiefs Jags. I know it's an easy pick, but you know what? You get two of the six or seven best quarterbacks in the league on the same field. That's usually a recipe for points. Yeah, I've got to mention uh, Tony Smith from Jacksonville coming up soon to talk about the Jaguars. Uh, their week one and week two coming up and just the season in general uh, for the Jaguars coming up. Great interview with him. Also have Mike Berman on coming on to talk about the Bears. Got to mention him as well. So two interviews this week. Great interviews with them. Um, like uh, Great Bears talk uh, with Mike. And then we're going to talk some Jags with uh, Tony Smith too. So that's all coming up. Great interviews with them. But going back to the shootouts of the week, my shootout of the week is going to be the the Ravens and Bengals. Both teams struggled, you know, they did they, they struggled last week against teams they probably should have killed. Obviously, the Ravens were able to get away with the victory. The Bengals were not. Ravens secondary cannot handle the wide receiver duo, uh, the the trio really, a Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, and Tyler Boyd. Uh, Marcus Peters is actually out for the Ravens too, which makes which is going to make that even worse. Ravens have a new exciting weapon for Lamar too, Say Flowers. Balled out last week, nine receptions, 78 yards. Uh, OBJ should get back in the mix as well. Definitely expect him to be targeted a lot more than he was uh, last week. The over is currently 46 and a half, and I definitely am taking the over on this game. It's a divisional game, which sometimes can lead to low scores, but I think these teams are going to want to really bounce back after their uh, poor performances in week one and, uh, yeah, definitely um, show the fans some more than they did last week. Opposite end of the spectrum, let's go to snoozers of the week. Low-scoring games or just games in general that might just not be uh, that enjoyable to watch. Zach, anything for you? Uh, what, what game are you keeping off your TV this weekend? <laughs> Giants-Cardinals stands out. The Giants looked pathetic last week against the Cowboys. The Cardinals, I think, might be the worst team in football. And I don't see much offense in this game, especially from the Cardinals. I think it could be a game where the Giants just have a bounce-back performance, but it may not necessarily be all that pretty, so... Yeah, I'm going Giants-Cardinals. Okay, I am going to go. I just mentioned a, a divi AFC North uh, divisional game with the Ravens and Bengals. I'm going to go uh, Browns and Steelers now as my snoozer of the week, the other divisional game in that conf or in that, divi in that division. Uh, Monday night football. Monday, uh, Monday night games tend to actually be lower scoring in general. Uh, Browns shocked the world last week with a gritty win against Cincinnati. Pittsburgh got embarrassed against the 49ers. Both teams, I don't think, I mean, the Steelers, I don't think are as good as they were uh, last year. I don't think they're going to be over 500. This is going to be Mike Tomlin's first year, not over 500. I think Browns played a little bit better than they actually even are. And like I said, this is a divisional round, Monday night football game. Both teams are very uh, gritty defensively. Both teams don't want each other to score. This game is going to be... Uh, a really low scoring game and it's going to be a lot of running plays and uh, just not a whole lot of action going on under the bright lights. Uh, Justin, who is your snoozer of the week? My snoozer of the week is going to be, 
I would say Raiders and Bills. I think Raiders Bills is my, would be my snoozer. The Bills not very impressive against the Jets, obviously losing that game. But the Raiders they did get a win over the Broncos. I think Buffalo's going to bounce back in this game, and I think they're just going to blow the doors off of the Raiders. Go one and one. Okay, kind of um, similar to upset of the week. We're going to go to underdog of the week. This could be someone that's going to uh, maybe not win the game so much, but even at least cover the spread. Zach, any um, underdog that you like this week? Yeah, to not cover, I'm going to go – or to cover but not win, I think the Jets. I don't think the Jets can actually win the mm-hmm. game, but I think these are two defenses that keep it kind of a low-scoring game, and that's the way that the Jets need to play. We know that they can run the ball. I don't have a ton of confidence in Zach Wilson, but Dak Prescott's also a guy that likes to turn the ball over. So I think this game is a recipe for 20-17. to 17. Dallas to win, but the Jets to cover. I'm going to go with a game you already mentioned, Zach. Uh, Jags over the Chiefs. The Jags team is really, really good. Like mm-hmm. I said, we have uh, Tony Smith coming up here soon to talk some uh, Jaguars football with us. Josh Allen, um, excuse me, not Josh Allen. Um, Chiefs have a lot of question marks on their side of the field. Uh, the receivers can't catch the ball. Travis Kelsey is questionable to play again. Uh, Chris Jones an elite level. He's going to come back, of course, but I still think the Chiefs have a lot of question marks. Um, Mahomes can win with this team, but I think the Jaguars are definitely a team that's underrated and not given enough respect. So they're going to come out. I think they're going to shock the Chiefs, at least cover the spread. And like you said, Zach, maybe even potential to beat the Chiefs uh, and um, you know make them 0-2 going into week three. Justin, uh, before you head out, any uh, underdog of the week for you? I think I'm still going to go with Jacksonville over Kansas City. I think Kansas City is starting this year 0-2, in my opinion. I think Jacksonville at home, home opener for them. I I think it's going to be – I think Jacksonville is going to give Kansas City a really tough time. I think think Jacksonville is going to go 2-0. All right. We know you got to head out. And want to give us a favor of the week real fast before you head on out? I got the Dolphins as my favorite of the week over the Patriots in New England. Look at the way Tua played last week against uh, against the Chargers. I think he does the same thing against New England. I think the Dolphins. I think the Dolphins will do, will dominate the Patriots actually in uh, in New England on Sunday Night Football. I think the Dolph- I think the Dolphins are going two and zero. And right now, it looks like they're division to lose. Zach, how about you? Any uh, favorite of the week? Uh, yeah, is this the lock of the week basically? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So my lock's the Buffalo Bills. They're bouncing back. Josh Allen's not playing that poorly again. Four turnovers. And usually when he's had that kind of game, the next week he looks like the best quarterback in football, which that's kind of the two different versions of Josh Allen. The Raiders are very good at home. But remember, this is a 10 a.m. local kick for them because Vegas, of course, is on West Coast time. And this is a one o'clock game in Buffalo. So that combination, I don't think sits too well for the Raiders. I'm taking the Bills. I think it's a whooping. I think Buffalo dominates this game. I really, I think they're, they're going to be my lock of the week. My lock of the week is actually going to be the Colts over the Texans. Uh, Colts looked really good last week against Jacksonville. Uh, they're coming off a 21 to 31 loss to Jacksonville, obviously in week one. The Jags scored twice within the last 90 seconds of the game, though, to win that game. So the Colts barely lost against the Jacksonville Jaguars, which who we kind of said throughout this whole, you know, opener here. Jags are really good, underrated team. So the Colts, come, you know, coming away with a almost a win against them was, a, you know, a really good testament to their team. And I think the Colts might actually uh, 
you know, be a better team than people think that they're going to be this year. They're still not going to go to the playoffs. They're not going to go uh, make the playoffs, but I think they're definitely going to be a, you know, seven, eight win team potentially. And so do I definitely have them beating the Texans. That's my lock of the week. Uh, the Texans were defeated pretty badly by the Ravens in week one, 25-9. Uh, Anthony Richardson has shown, you know, way more upside than even C.J. Stroud has for the Texans. Uh, Michael Pittman Jr., Jr. looking like the stud many thought he would be last season. Uh, he led the team with eight catches for 97 yards and a touchdown. Colts defense also shined in week one, recorded two sacks, one interception, and recovered a fumble. Yeah, Colts headed in the right direction under Shane Slyke, and that's for sure. Kind of like I was saying, might be better than some people think this year. I'm picking them to have like seven, eight wins, and definitely, definitely pick, uh, picking them to beat the Texans uh, in week two this weekend. Uh, Zach, let's move on to writer, uh, writer's block. Who is your? What's your writer's block of the week? What story is your writer's block of the week? Uh, my writer's block story of the week is the Colorado Buffaloes. They've got every major television entity in town. I mean, you got Game Day, you've got Big New Kickoff, you got 60 Minutes. First take, Pat McAfee show. Like, they are the story in all of college football, one of the stories in all of sports right now, and it's deserved. This team won one game a year ago, uh, lost by an average of 29 points per game in their 11 losses last year, and now they're the talk of the sport. Deion Sanders showing that it's a completely new era of college football, and this is going to be a revolutionary trend moving forward where you're going to hire a coach that can go out and basically turn over a roster in, in week one or in year one. So, uh, Colorado getting all the media attention is my writer's block. My writer's block of the week is uh, ESPN. They came out with a story about how the Bucks' new head coach, Adrian Griffin, uh, foresees a great partnership between him and Giannis. Uh, Giannis, I mean, I don't understand why this is a story. I understand they may want to preview the relationship, but this story really isn't necessary. The coach is expected to have a good relationship with the star player. Uh, if they don't, that's a big, big problem. Uh, a lot of the quotes from the interview were also very generic. Um, you know, he wants to win. Uh, we all want to win. Nothing really special about this story at all. Kind of came out before, uh, you know, you know, during the during week one and week two, kind of in between football when nothing really was going on. Like I said, every coach wants to win. Every coach is going to have a good relationship with their star player. And if they don't, that's that's we have a lot more problems than that. So that's my story. That's my writer's block of the week. Let's move on now to our interviews. Like I said, great interviews coming up. We have Tony Smith from Jacksonville. He's going to talk a lot about the Jaguars that we've, we've already previewed with them coming into week two. Uh, we're also going to talk to Mike Berman from uh, NBC5 Chicago. Talk some uh, bears with him. Uh, poor performance in week one. Uh, what they're going to do to bounce back in week two. Cubs heading into the playoffs in October and uh, kind of uh, breaking the Connor the Connor Bedard a little bit too and just the hype that he has uh, when he takes the ice and actually less than a month from now hockey will be back so without further ado yeah let's get to Tony and Mike okay we now head down to Jacksonville and talk to Tony Smith uh, host of Jaguars today uh, ten, or noon to two excuse me on 1010 XL the flagship station for the Jag uh, for the Jaguars Tony, I want to start with this weekend. Tough mm -hmm. or tough win, I would say, against the Colts. Uh, kind of squeaked it away. Took a last-minute touchdown. Took last-minute touchdowns by Tank Bisbee, Travis Etienne. Uh, they did end up coming away victorious at the end of the day, 31-21. to 21. But I want to start with this game first, though, and then we'll kind of go from there. 
were fans happy about this game or were they kind of disappointed that it did kind of take some last minute heroics to kind of squeak away with the win and come home with a victory? Yeah, with the expectations that have been building, you know, throughout the off season into this season for this team, they get to the divisional round last year. We have, you know, people across the country that are picking the Jags to be the one seed in the AFC at times, maybe a Super Bowl team. Uh, this year, you're on the road against the Colts team that's got a rookie quarterback starting. So, you know, I picked it 31-13 when I left on Friday for the show. That was my official pick. But, you know, you get into the third, fourth quarter of this game, I think trying to remind fans that getting a 10-point win on the road in week one in the division, that's a good win, right? Like, in the end, that's just a good win. And for a franchise that they we've seen the disappointment over the years. It's been almost all disappointment over the years for the Jacksonville Jaguars. So whatever your expectations were, you had to adjust them. They played better on defense than I think most people expected they would uh, throughout much of the season, but offensively it didn't pop on all cylinders Sunday, which is where their strength is expected to be. They score 31 when the offense isn't popping, right? Like it's a good sign for the team still getting into 2023. But yeah, we had to do some, hey guys, relax a little bit, right? A 10-point win on the road in the division is a good way to start the year. Obviously, the test ratchets up this week with the Kansas City Chiefs coming to town. Yeah, you really can't tell anything by week one. I mean, you look at the Cincinnati Bengals, they lost to a, you know, definitely not. They lost to the Browns pretty badly. Uh, Mm -hmm. Not shocked by the Browns beating them, but... Beating them that badly is a shocker. I mean, Dallas blew out the Giants. No one really expected that. Chiefs lost to the Lions. It's week one. You really can't take much away from week one, like you're saying. Let's talk about the offensive line, though. I mean, it looks like Trevor Lawrence was pretty much running the entire game. It looks like he was under pressure the entire game. Is there anything happening this off or this off, you know, not off week, but this week heading up into week two for the Chiefs? Is there anything that's being changed with the offensive line to help address these issues that they had last game? I don't know about changed, right? The Brandon Sheriff, who is a guy who's a multiple-time All-Pro, they signed in free agency a couple of years ago from Washington, came down. This is his third year now in Jacksonville, and he's the veteran leader on that offensive line. He had some kind of ankle injury last week. They haven't said exactly what. He came out of the game, went in for an X-ray, came back out, played a series, and then they pulled him out for the rest of the game. It's unclear whether or not he's going to be able to play this week against Kansas City. That's a big question mark going into the game, exactly what that's going to be. They obviously need to get better, especially there on the interior. I I understand there's been a lot of questions about the offensive line in general throughout the offseason. That's one of the things people point to with this football team going in. I haven't had the same level of concern. I I don't think the country knows who Walker Little is, right? And that's the guy who's stepping in to be the left tackle. I don't think they lose much. Honestly, with Walker Little being the left tackle as opposed to Cam Robinson. Now, you have an Anton Harrison, who's the first-round pick. He's got to be the right tackle stepping in for Jawan Taylor, who they'll see coming back this weekend as he signed with the Kansas City Chiefs. I don't think the offensive line is going to be that big of an issue because of the way they can call the offense with Trevor Lawrence, get the ball out of his hands quick. He can be more decisive. He was last year. I think he's very comfortable if that's the position they put him in to get the ball out of your hands now, 
right? I think he's comfortable if that's what they wind up asking him to do in the offense. I don't think the offensive line is going to get in the way of whatever level of success the Shaguars team is going to be able to have in 2023. I think it's going to be good enough. And the combination of head coach Doug Peterson, quarterback Trevor Lawrence, it's clearly the best in the division. They should still be the favorite in the division. The real test as to where do you actually match up against the power in the AFC starts this week again with the Chiefs coming to town for the home opener on Sunday. Well, Tony, you definitely know the offense very well for the Jaguars. I mean, you called that they, that they would have 31 points this weekend, and they did. And you barely even missed the defensive side of the ball. You, I think you said 13, and they only <laughs> yeah. had you know one score away from mm-hmm. that. So you definitely know your Jags. Um, let's talk about the game this weekend, though. Chiefs Chiefs knocked out uh, Jacksonville last year in the playoffs. Yeah, uh, Jaguars are at home, though. Um, Chiefs obviously coming back from a bounce-back loss against the Lions in the uh, season you know, season opener last Thursday. What are the fans saying about this game coming up? Is there any chance the Chiefs can go uh, 0-2 and the Jaguars come away with it? Would this be like another shocker for the, for the Jaguars or for the Chiefs to lose? Or do you think Chiefs might be a little bit overrated this year coming into the season? I don't know if they're overrated, right? Like they play that game last Thursday night to open up the season. Mahomes plays – right, which is a big difference maker anytime he's on the field. But their two best players outside of Mahomes don't play, right, and Kelsey and Jones. Those are the two and three players on that roster. They don't play against the Lions, and the offense looked like they were an offense playing without a Hall of Fame tight end, right? Like, that's what that looked like. Travis Kelsey is an otherworldly talent at that position, maybe the best the league has ever seen, right? Travis Kelsey at the tight end position. It certainly sounds like he's going to play this week, so the Jags have to figure out what to do and as far as how they want to match up with him. Chris Jones is back. He's going to make some kind of difference. I don't think he's going to get the full workload, you know, coming back after not being involved in the preseason, any of that kind of thing. I, but he's going to play, right? So their other two great players are going to be back on the field. It's a different Chiefs team, I think, with those two guys on the field as compared to what you saw on Thursday night, where even without those guys – Kadarius Tony hangs on to maybe one of the four passes he dropped, specifically the one that turned into a pick six. The Chiefs win, right, against the Lions with all that other stuff going on. This is still a really good Chiefs team. I don't think they're taking a step back. I think this Sunday is about whether or not the Jaguars have taken the step forward that I think a lot of people think that they can into the 2023 season. You're getting the Chiefs in your building. It is the home opener. There's a lot of momentum on your side. I think we've been asking the question all off season, are the Jaguars in a position where they can score with the chiefs, the bills, the Bengals, the power in the AOC. They play all those teams this year. This is the first one of those tests, right? It's at home. It's week two. You get the opportunity to put the knot on their head to make them 0 two. You get to two and zero. that's a big deal early on in the season for this football team. It's show us who you are, right? Like that's what this week feels like to me. I think that they're capable of scoring with the Kansas City Chiefs. Now you get the opportunity to show it for the first time this season. If Jackson, if the Jaguars win this game, how do you think they would match up against the rest of the AFC? I think they match up pretty well with pretty much anybody in the league. Right. At this point, I think the league has become a 
can you outscore the quarterback on the other sideline league, right? And Kansas City has had the wild card that they could play where they have a Chris Jones, who's an unbelievable player. The Rams won a Super Bowl a couple of years ago because their offense was crazy, and they had Aaron Donald, right? Like, it's you need somebody on the defensive side of the ball that can make a play in a big-time situation. I think the Jags feel like they have guys that have that quality that could give them that kind of thing. Josh Allen had three sacks this weekend against the Colts, right? That we're waiting for the big breakout season for him on that side of the ball. Maybe it's coming in three sacks in week one is an indication of what it's going to be for him going into year five of his career. They draft Trayvon Walker number one overall a couple years ago, right? We're still waiting on that bust out for him. He had a sack last weekend against the Colts as well. We all feel like Tyson Campbell, the corner, again, maybe not a household name, for NFL fans yet, but Tyson Campbell has top five corner talent in the league, right? That's how talented he is, had a big game last week. And I think if you get an offense, you're adding Calvin Ridley to that side of the football for this Jaguars offense. He showed up big in the first half of the game in week one. If that's what they're going to be getting from Calvin Ridley all year, you combine that with what they got from Christian Kirk, what they've gotten from Zay Jones, the two-headed backfield with Travis Etienne, and Tank Bigsby, who they drafted in the third round this year, and the potential growth of Trevor Lawrence going from year two to year three in his career and still being able to take that big step forward. I think the Jags feel like going into the year, they can score with all the top teams in in the entire league, especially in the AFC. You got to do it, right? You got to show it on the field, and they haven't done that yet. Like, that part of it hasn't come yet. It's still a team that's trying to find – that kind of moment to say to the rest of the league, they feel like they're arriving in the building here in Jacksonville. You went on Sunday against the chiefs and put them to zero and two, the whole league's looking up saying the Jags are here, right? Like it, that's the kind of win that everyone looks around and says, all right, they're here. They're not coming. They're here. And the divisional round, everything that they got done in the back half of last season, it validates all that and carries the momentum that they've held throughout the offseason into week three when they got to play another divisional rival in the Houston Texans. Do you expect this game to be a high-scoring game uh, Sunday? It sounds like you, it sounds like what I you're do. saying is their best chance to beat the Chiefs would just be to kind of out-throw Patrick Mahomes and outscore the Chiefs. Do you expect this to be at least 50-plus plus score game? I think the line right now over-under is actually at 51, so – Sounds like what you're saying that definitely take the over on that on that line. I think so. And I the question of the day that we had today, we had a poll question that we put up in the what will be the biggest key of these four keys for the Jags to find a way to win on Sunday. And you know, we had covered Travis Kelsey, which is a big deal, right? This guy's a great player. We had our running backs combined for 125 or more yards, hit Patrick Mahomes, or protect Trevor Lawrence. And part of the reason we made it that way, it's not for Jaguars fans. It was kind of split. You had three answers that really got a lot of attention, but the two that got the most attention were cover Travis Kelsey because Kelsey has historically killed the Jags. Every time they played Kelsey, he has killed the Jags, but he kills everybody he plays, right? Like that's nothing new. The guy does that kind of thing week to week, has been doing it for a decade now uh, in the league. And then – It was protect Trevor Lawrence. And the way I look at it, I say, who are you, right? We spent an offseason saying that we think you can score with the big boys in the AFC. 
protect Trevor Lawrence and give him a chance to score with one of the big boys in the AFC this week. I think that is a big part of what this game on Sunday is about. It's confirming to themselves who they are, right? They think they can accomplish those kind of things. I think they're certainly capable of accomplishing those kind of things. I, they can beat the Chiefs. I got no question about whether or not they're capable of beating the Kansas City Chiefs. But if you beat the Chiefs this week, you're at least setting up the opportunity when tiebreakers come in the later part of the season and you're trying to figure out seeding in the AFC playoffs. Come on back down to Jacksonville in January. We'll see you again. We don't think this is the last time if you're going to be a really competitive team in the AFC. You don't just see the Chiefs once if they're on the schedule. You're probably going to have to deal with them twice. That's just the nature of the conference right now. But you'd rather play them home than having to go to Arrowhead in January. Patrick mm-hmm. Mahomes has never had to play a road playoff game in his career. Can they force the opportunity for the first time that he has to go somewhere else to try to get to a Super Bowl? This week could have a lot to say about whether or not they can accomplish that. What does Trevor Lawrence have to do this year to become a top five quarterback, to be considered a top five quarterback next year? Obviously, Joe Burrow just got a huge extension. Justin Herbert just got a huge extension. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Jalen Hurts is on the rise. We just talked about Patrick Holmes. He is undoubtedly the best quarterback in the league right now. Aaron Rodgers might even retire after this year, considering what happened on Monday night. <laughs> what does, I mean, what does Trevor Lawrence have to do? Kind of a repeat of next year or, or repeat of last year? Or does he have to even be better than he was last year to be considered a top five quarterback after this season's done? I think if he had the same kind of season that he had last year, he'd probably be in the conversation, you know, in in that kind of, he's already, you know, you look at most quarterback rankings through the off season, he's there at seven or eight in most of them that you see, you'll see occasionally somebody would have Trevor Lawrence in the top five, you know, it's not out of the realm of possibility that you've already seen that kind of thing from Trevor Lawrence. I think if he has the kind of year we're all expecting him to have, right? That improvement. If you get the same guy that the Jags got the back half of last season, he played like a top three quarterback in the league for the last two Mm -hmm. months of the season last year and into the playoffs. And if they're getting that guy again, then yeah, he's already there. He played really well week one. He really did. You go back and you look at some of the throws, 24-32 is what he wound up. In, in week one, it's the comfort that he has in the offense now compared to where it was early last year, first year with Doug Peterson, finally being able to put all the ridiculousness of Urban Meyer ever having had the opportunity to coach an NFL team, which was stupid on its face, that the franchise decided to go with that kind of decision. And he was obviously overwhelmed. Urban stank as an NFL coach. He couldn't talk to players. He had no respect for the position. It felt like during the time that he was here and thank goodness it was done quick. That doesn't even get into all the not flying on the team plane. That guy was a disaster um, here in Jacksonville. Thank goodness it Mm -hmm. didn't even last a year, right? When everything is said and done and not only does it not last a year, but you bounce back and get a guy like Doug Peterson, who knows how to win a Super Bowl, who knows how to keep a team competitive who has turned quarterbacks into gold, and now he's got a golden quarterback that he's going to be able to turn into gold. And you saw it the second half of last year. I think if you see the guy that we saw the second half of last season in Trevor Lawrence all season this year, he's going to be in the top five. I think he'll probably push top three 
when everything is said and done. And honestly, if they achieve at the label, the level that I think they're capable of achieving this year, he may only be behind Mahomes when we get to the end of the year this season. They are capable of achieving at that kind of level with the roster that they currently have here in town. But you have to accomplish all those things. I'm not saying he's there yet. I'm saying he's capable of giving you that kind of thing. And there were a lot of people that were wondering after his rookie year, did we overhype this guy for four years, right? There was a lot of people that were asking those kind of questions. They're not asking that anymore. Trevor's here, right? The offense is here. And again, as I said, they have an opportunity to let the whole league know on Sunday against the Chiefs. We'll see if they can pull it off. What do um, What's the record have to be for, for the Jaguars this year to – to, to skip out in that wild card game and, uh, you know, ultimately make it, you know, first round pick a uh, first round uh, buy to the divisional round. What, what 11 wins? I mean, New York Jets obviously are going to have a tough, tough year this year because of yeah. Aaron Rodgers going down Monday night. Um, you know, we don't even know what the Chiefs are. I mean, the Chiefs might even be zero oh and two after this weekend and Jags would be two and oh. So we don't even know. But what is like, What's uh what's the what's that number that the Jaguars have on their board in the locker room that they need to get to this year to, to make the postseason as um, comfortable as possible, for lack of better words? The you know that with the only one team getting the buy anymore, right? So the one seed's the only one that's getting the buy. So to get to that level, you're probably talking having to win 13, 14, right? Is what you're probably gonna have to do yep. to get the the buy. In the first round of the playoffs, go look at the Jags' schedule. Why can't they? Right? They get to play the AFC South. They get six games against those teams. Those are three of the bottom five in most power rankings this week. That's their division, right? That's what they get six games against. They get four games against the NFC South on the other side, which I think the Saints are actually pretty good when everything is said and done. But the other teams in that division, when you're talking about the Panthers and the Falcons, like it, it there is this opportunity for them coming out of the division and the four teams they have to play in the NFC to come out of that. I don't think with where this franchise is, they should be any worse than eight and two in those games, right? Like that's what I expect them to do in those games. I'm not saying the rest of it's easy, right? They do play the chiefs and they do play the bills and they do play the Bengals and they do play the Ravens and they do play the 49ers coming over here after the bye week. Like it's, those are all games that are in play, but if they achieve at the level that they should with the games that they're supposed to win, I think they're going to come out of those 10 games, probably eight and two, maybe better than that when everything is said and done. So you got to find a way to win four or five of these other games. And I think they're capable of doing that, especially with the way the schedule is set up. It's spread out, right? They're not having to play any of these really mm-hmm. tough games back to back. It's all spread out throughout the year, right? They have, This game this week, they got Houston next week. They're playing Atlanta in London in week four. Then they get Buffalo in London in week five. They don't even have to make the road trip to Buffalo. The league put that game in London. So Jacksonville gets to skip one of those big road tests that they would have had because the league put that game in London. Now the Jags have to play back-to-back games in London. Who knows exactly what that's going to look like when everything is said. Like teams haven't had to do that yet. So there's a little bit of question of what does it take to get your team ready to play back-to-back weeks in London when you're just staying the week over after you play the first game, which they're very comfortable with. They've been doing that for years now, right? They can handle that, but back-to-back games is a different Mm -hmm. kind of animal. I think you look at it, 
the goal should be to win 13. If they get to that 12, 11 win mark, they're probably still going to wind up being two, three seed in the AFC. Three seed probably means you're going to Kansas City, you know, or Cincinnati, you know, or the AFC North winner likely in that first round coming out of the wild card. You get to host the wild card game, then you'd have to go on the road for the divisional round. And odds are, you're going to have to go on the road in the AFC championship game. But I think if they can get to 13, 14 wins, the schedule says they can. Again, they got to go make all this stuff happen. But they're capable, given the level of talent on the team and the schedule they get to play, of making those kind of things happen. But yeah, 13, 14 is probably what you're going to need to be the one seed in the conference. Yeah, look at the schedule now. You're, you're right. It's they almost have like a two games in between. You know their toughest opponents. They mm-hmm. you know we they play the Chiefs. Obviously, we know this this Sunday. Then they have Texans, Falcons before the Bills, and then after the Bills, they have Colts, Saints, yep. Steelers before the 49ers, and then you know Texans, uh, Titans and Texans before the Bengals, and then Browns before the Ravens. Also, not even that, and you kind of alluded to it too, Tony. Is all their tough games are home this year yeah. too? They play Chiefs at home. You know, they play the 49ers at home. They play the Ravens at home. They play the Bengals at home. So their toughest opponents that they play this year all are at home, which is great for the Jaguars, obviously. I want to go back to the London games yeah. that you mentioned. Uh, like, like you just said, first time in history that I, I think – is, is it the first time a team is playing two games in London back-to-back? Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know if it's the first – it is? Okay. What I want to ask you, why, why do the Jaguars play – in London so much. I know I'm looking back on it now. I think it's ever since 2015. I think they played every 2014, 2013, even I think they played in London every single year. What is it with the Jaguars that they're always going hmm. shipping off to London to, to play these NFL games early on um, with owner shot when he bought the team, the, the, the franchise was in a really bad spot on the field. They weren't very competitive, right? So Home crowds weren't all that great. I know a lot of people, you know, talk some trash about the Jags and the fan base and all these different things. And I've always responded to them the same way. It's what are people supposed to pay to go see, right? It's a competitive league. I've brought this kind of thing up. I was reading about the history of the NFL a couple of off seasons ago. I was reading America's Game, the book. Right. And one of the Mm -hmm. things they had in there was the Kansas City Chiefs over the a period of two decades sold out four home games. Right. The team wasn't good enough to get people to show up. And when the team isn't good enough, Kansas City's not having any issues with getting fans to show up right now when the team is bad. The fans don't want to waste their Sunday coming to do that. Right. It's it's a not a cheap thing to go do. To go watch an NFL game, you got to pay for the parking, you got to pay for the ticket, you got to get the family in and out of the car, you got to pay for the game day concessions, you got to give your whole day up, right? If you're going to go tailgate, you're going out there at 9 a.m., right? You're going, you got to deal with the weather. The heat here in Jacksonville is ludicrous early on in the season. It'll be hot, but not crazy this week against the Chiefs. There's a lot of reasons why you may not have full stadiums when the team stinks. And the Jags have had a lot of years where the team stinks. This year, they're not going to have those problems. That stadium is going to be full. It's going to be bumping. It's going to be loud as crazy for the home schedule this year for this football team because there's a reason to go see it. 
Now, Shad, early on, they saw an opportunity. The NFL wanted to get that footprint in London, right? This is part of what they're doing. They're trying to get games played in London. And the Jags were looking at the money they weren't making on home games and saying, you know what? We can give one of our home games up. We'll go play it in London. When they were playing the games in London, they got the full gate for those games in London. They weren't splitting it. They got the full gate because they were the home team in those games in London. So they were getting a full crowd because it's a fan of any NFL team that has never had the opportunity to go watch an NFL game that showed up to go watch. And they still do. That's still the feel for games in London to this day. That has never changed, right? Even with all the teams kind of rotating through going over there. So they looked at it as an opportunity for a franchise that was struggling financially because of the position the team was in on the field. They took advantage of an opportunity that the league gave them. Now, they're going to build a new stadium, it sounds like, here in a couple of years. And I don't know what they're going to do with continuing to play games in London once they get that agreed to stadium built, revenue streams, all those things. I'm not sure if they're still going to be willing to continue to be the team that's given up a home game every year to go play in London. I don't know what the answer to any of that is. It made sense because when you saw the Jags agree to do it, there were other teams that kind of stood up and said, Tampa stood up and said, hey, send one of our home games. Miami stood up and said, hey, send one of our home games. It's not like Jacksonville was the only team that was willing to give up the home game. Jacksonville was the first one to step in and say, you know what, we'll commit to it for a while. You know, so they are, they're giving up a home game. Fans don't like it. And I understand it. If I was paying for season tickets, especially now, the team's good, right? <laughs> I don't want them yeah. to have to do it now, but it's agreement that they already have in place. We'll see how much longer it's going to last, but that's what it was. It was a financial thing in the beginning, as far as any concerns about the franchise or any franchise, honestly, if you ask me ever moving to London, no. You'd have to have at least the division of teams over there to make it even viable to do that kind of thing. And I don't see how they'd be able to pull that kind of thing off. Yeah. I mean, players, players hate going yeah. over to London. I know that's, that's the biggest reason I don't think the NFL is ever going to be able to do anything like that overseas because the players will just complain way <laughs> yeah. too much about it. I know it's like what an eight hour flight to get to London. I it, Players just hate it. You hear it all the time. Every time, every single year they play the London games, it's just, players are just always complaining about it so it does sound like it was some kind of like contract or an agreement with the nfl that the jaguars made and that's why they're still going down every single year because to me i mean it looks like it's i know it it definitely benefited the jaguars in the beginning when they made the deal with the nfl mm -hmm. um but now it just kind of seems unfair it's it's i mean it really is ever since 2013 like i said it's it's been every single year that the jaguars have to go down and play in london and so it just to me it just kind of seems not only to the fans losing a home game but to the coaches the to the players to, to everyone it just kind of seems like a sticky situation uh they're comfortable with it now you know <laughs> used <Yeah>. to it. <laughs> they're used to it like they know what it feels like to have to schedule and understand exactly what it's going to take. Okay. This is the week we're going to London, right? So they're comfortable with it. They can kind of anticipate it. This year's different because they are playing the Atlanta game in Wembley, which is where Shad Khan almost bought Wembley, by the way, a couple of years ago. Uh, but it, that deal kind of fell through um, at the, the last minute, but they're playing one game at Wembley. And then the next week when they play Buffalo, they're playing them at 
Tottenham Stadium. Uh, so they're playing in two different stadiums and they're staying the week. And early on when the Jags were doing the London thing and they were trying to figure out what's the best way to do this, early on they were doing that. They were staying the week, right? They'd fly out after the Sunday game the week before, go to London and stay there, practice, figure out the schedule, whatever. What they found was that doesn't work so well. The, the right way to handle it, they figured out, was you fly in late in the week. You fly in Thursday and you don't necessarily redo your body clock as much as being there for the entire week. And then you fly out Sunday after the game. Well, now you got this second game against Buffalo. I've been saying it since it got announced. I was with the way we saw it work for them early on in London, this game from a game prep standpoint, I'm looking at it going, I, I don't know guys. Like I, I get that you neutralize the home field advantage for Buffalo because you would have had to go to Orchard Park, right? So you don't have to make that road trip this year. They have to come over to London, but they may have the book on the more successful way to do London, right? I don't think being there for the whole week gives the Jags an advantage in that game. If it does anything, my guess is it gives them a disadvantage to have to figure out what it means to be there for the whole nine days, that you have to do it now, right? Like, I do think that puts them at a bit of a disadvantage. I even joked around when the schedule got released and we saw the order of all these opponents, back-to-back London games, all this stuff. I half, you know, tongue-in-cheek, I picked the Jags to go 16-1. and I expect them to be really good this year. 16-1's a little nuts, right? But what I said, the game I picked them to lose is Buffalo. And it's for all the reasons I just laid out. I, I think that is tough to be away from home without a chance to come home at all. Like at least when you have back-to-back roadies in the States, you come home for four days, right? Like that's not going to be the case here. You got to figure out how to make this all work on the road for nine days. It's a different kind of test. We'll see what kind of plans they have to overcome some of those things when we get to it there in week five. Yeah. All the distractions that they can have away from home too. Yeah. Just, going out it's london i mean it's it's the new york city of uh there's Europe, plenty to do yeah no doubt said. yeah what is um i always like to ask this what is a successful season for the jaguars this year i know that's kind of a general no duh question i mean obviously you would love to win it all super bowl would be the best mm-hmm. case scenario but realistically i know a lot of people are saying that they might actually go ahead and go to the super bowl if not even win the whole thing but yeah. From a realistic standpoint, what would the fans be satisfied with this year for the Jaguars? I know they, you know, they lost to the Chiefs, like we said earlier last year in the divisional round. Yeah. Is it just getting past the divisional round? It's like what what is it like a successful season for the fans here? I think looking at it from the perspective of week two, right? And look, expectations are going to change as you go through the season. And if they're achieving at the level that they're capable of achieving throughout the rest of this regular season. And we get to the end of it and they are 14 and three and they are the one seed in the AFC divisional round. Nah, that ain't good enough. Conference championship game. Nah, that ain't good enough. Right? Like at that point, the perspective is they ought to play for a championship for the first time in franchise history. It would be the fourth time. If they can get there this year, it'll be the fourth time they've been to the AFC championship game. They're 0-3 in those games. They went their second year. They lost to New England. They went in 1999. It's the best team in franchise history. They went 14-2 and 
in that regular season. They were considered by everybody to be the best team in football that year. They couldn't beat the Tennessee Titans. They went 0-3 that season against the Titans. 0-2 in the regular season. They lost to them at home in the AFC Championship game there in 99. 2017 was magic. That defense was unbelievable. They were at New England for the AFC Championship game that year. The Miles Shaq wasn't downplay. It's still repeated over and over in the heads of the fans here in Jacksonville. They would have been in the uh, Super Bowl if that play had been called by the officials a little bit differently, like that kind of thing. It's still there. But if they are a 14-3 football team, then yeah, the expectation is they play for a Super Bowl. I think looking at it from now, what would they consider to be successful? I think it's get past the divisional round. I do think it's win at least one playoff game. They're hopeful with the opportunity to have the bye going into it and not have to play until you get to the divisional round of the playoffs. But I think, yeah, like everybody else, if your team got to the wild card last year, the next year it's like, all right, win the division, right? Well, the Jags already won the division and they seem to be in the catbird seat to win the division again, given how bad the AFC South is. So the expectations are and should be higher. I think, Yeah, a really good season would be playing for an AFC championship game. There may be something short of that, right? Like if you're in the divisional round of the playoffs and you're playing the Chiefs or the Bengals and you lose a tight game, that may still be considered a good season for the football team. But I think if you ask right now, yeah, they'd say AFC championship game. I think I know the answer to this, but do the fans see this as like a a narrow window for for the Jaguars? I mean, AFC South, probably one of the worst, probably is the worst division in football, if not the NFC South. Uh, yeah, Trevor Lawrence, probably in his prime right now. Yeah. Um, so is there like a, is that the fan, how the fans view this team right now? Is It's kind of like a narrow window to kind of really make a splash here and get their first title in franchise history. I think they look at it as Trevor window has just created their championship window. Right. And that window is going to be open as long as Trevor Lawrence is the quarterback for the Jacksonville Jaguars. And the expectation and hope is that's going to be 15 years. Right. And that doesn't mean you're going to win a championship four times. Not every quarterback's Tom Brady. Not every quarterback is Patrick Mahomes. Dan Marino, you can under, there's a good argument for him to be on the Mount Rushmore of NFL quarterbacks. He doesn't have a ring. Right. That doesn't mean that he wasn't one of the greatest to have ever done it. It's championships are really, really hard to win. What Dan Marino created was every season that started with him in Miami, we got a chance because we got 13. Right. Like that's the way that it felt every year for Miami. The Jaguars fans right now are looking at it saying, we got 16. We got Trevor Lawrence. When the season kicks off, We can go toe-to-toe with anybody in the league. And then my guy gives me a chance to win week-to-week and to win on the highest level. That comeback in the playoffs last year, they were down 27 to nothing against the Chargers late in the second half at home in that playoff game. Trevor had thrown four interceptions. It was, okay, it was nice. They made the playoffs this year. Cool, right? Like that's the way it was feeling for a lot of people going into half, but because of the way the second half of the season had gone, all the comeback victories they'd had, it was a little bit of, all right, let's get one in the end zone before halftime and see what happens, right? And they were able to do that and come back with the big time 
comeback victory, coming back from 27 and nothing down against the Chargers. They lost to the Chiefs on the road by a touchdown. It was a one-score game. They're right there with them, right? Like, they don't feel like they're that far behind the power in the AFC last year. And now you add Calvin Ridley to the mix in this offense, and you get a second-year Trayvon Walker and a third-year Trevor Lawrence and everyone's second year with Doug Peterson as the coach. I think if you ask Jaguars fans right now, the window is as long as Trevor Lawrence is wearing a Jaguars uniform. And when he decides to step away, that's when the window will close and they'll have to figure out what the next quarterback is going to look like. But they've never had anything close to this at that position. That's what this league is about. It's coach and quarterback. That's what this league is about. And they got both pieces. Yeah, you're right, Tony. Only 23 years old. I don't know why. It seems like he's been in the league longer yeah. than that. He's one of those quarterbacks yeah. that just kind of seems like he's been in the well, league We've been talking about him three, forever. Three years. You know? Yeah. Since he was a freshman yeah. at Clemson, everyone's been talking about this guy. It's going to be the number one pick in the draft. And it wound up that way, you know, after three years. But that means we've been talking about Trevor just as a quarterback on field for six. You know, like we've been talking about that yeah. long. And that's if you grew up down here, you know, we're in the southeast. I knew Trevor Lawrence's name eight, nine years ago. Right. Like everyone knew who this guy was. Number one recruit, all those things deciding between Clemson and Georgia, you know, small town, Georgia kid, everything about Trevor Lawrence. We've all known it for a long time down here. And for him to have landed in a Jaguars uniform, that the party has not stopped. And I don't expect it to stop anytime soon. Yeah. I mean, look at Clemson. They haven't been good since he left. They really haven't. I mean, they haven't done anything since he left. Really? No, they've really, really struggled since he, since he left uh, Clemson, left the ACC. Yep. All right, Tony, this has been amazing. I really, we can't thank you enough for your time. I do want to ask you one last question before we sure. head out, though. We'll stay in the AFC. I just want to get who you think the seven playoff teams in the AFC this year is going to be. NFC is a little bit more um, it's predictable, I guess you can say. AFC, though, mm-hmm. like we keep saying, is going to be a gauntlet this year. And I want to you know, get your get your thoughts on who you think those uh, seven teams are going to be this year going into the, uh, going into the playoffs for the AFC. Sure. I already have to change one of them that I had before mm-hmm. uh, the season yep. started. I, I did. I think I know who that is. Yeah, I did have in our pre-picks, I did have the Jets uh, winning the East. That's impossible to believe is going to happen now. But uh, if it, looking at it right now, I would say Miami. I'd still have Buffalo in there from the East. So that's two. Cincinnati. Uh I may come back to the North here in a second. Cincinnati, Jacksonville, that's that's four. Kansas City is five. So two more wild cards for me. I'll go Chargers and Ravens, I think, would be the other two that I'd put in at this point. It's about right, I would say, too. Yeah, Browns might – AFC North is tricky. It is. Steelers are – Yeah, that's never a tough division. Really, yeah, very, no doubt. Yeah. Probably no. the best division in football. Yeah, you can never yep. knock out the Steelers. I mean, the Browns obviously played really well in their week one, too. So AFC North is probably the hardest two to pick. They might even have uh, three from that division. Who knows? Yeah. But yeah, we'll, we'll all see when it's said and done. Well, Tony, this has been awesome. Um, we, I can't thank you enough for your time. This has been really, really nice. We love to have you on and uh, have to do it again sometime. No okay? problem, guys. Appreciate you having me on. That was fun. Yeah, absolutely, man. We'll definitely be in touch, and we'll have you on again time, uh, sometime soon. Sounds okay? good. 
Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thank you. All right, man. Take care. That interview was brought to you by Philly Drinkers. The Continental Sports Podcast has partnered with Philly Drinkers, the go-to place for the greatest sports clothing that you can get your hands on. They specialize in partying hard and looking great while doing it. Owned and operated by diehard sports fans, they don't just love sports, they love what sports stand for. Most importantly, they understand that you always want to rep your favorite team anywhere you go, whether it be a sporting event or grabbing a couple of drinks with the guys. Their apparel and products always have unique designs and slogans, all while bringing out great vibes. Head to phillydrinkers.com today and get your one-of-a-kind merchandise. Philly Drinkers, always party. Now let's continue to talk some Chicago sports with Mike Berman from NBC5 Chicago. Okay, we now head to the Windy City and talk to Mike Berman, uh, journalist for NBC5 in Chicago. Uh, Mike, Bears had a tough showing this uh, this past Sunday. Uh, even with Aaron Rodgers gone at the Packers, they still struggle against the Packers. Couldn't beat them at home. Uh, Justin Fields struggled a little bit. 24 for 37, 216 yards, one touchdown, one interception. What is it with this Bears team that they're still not able to beat the Packers, even with Aaron Rodgers um, not even there anymore in the, in the division? Well, there's like more than 3 million people in Chicago wondering the same question. Uh, and by the way, first of all, thank you for having me. Uh, honored to be on the podcast and looking forward to our chat. Now back to the Bears stinking. Um, and, and especially stinking against the Packers. They've lost nine straight, 13 of 14. Um, and yeah, it's, it's even more demoralizing when the loss comes in the first game, not just of the season, but the first game, you know, since Aaron Rodgers moved on because he'd been, he'd been so dominant against the bears. Um, but I, I think it's, it's a lot less in my opinion. And, and I, I give Matt LaFleur, I think he's a great coach. And I think that the Packers certainly have plenty of talent remaining on their team. Um, Aaron Jones in particular was fantastic in the game, but I think it's a lot less about the Packers and a lot more about the bears. And, you know, we spent the entire off season hearing about how the bears improved. And I think, you know, on paper, they did adding guys like DJ Moore and Tremaine Edmonds, but ultimately everything comes down to, you know, what happens with the quarterback play. And I think a combination of, the Bears offensive line uh, not playing very well and Justin Fields not playing all that well is ultimately what put them behind and and you know didn't give them a chance to to ever catch up and I think what's most disappointing for Bears fans is again they spent the offseason they being the Bears telling us how much Justin Fields was taking steps and improving as a passer you know, in those those split seconds, those most important split seconds from snap to making a decision and throwing, you know, we were told that, that he's improving there, and we just didn't see it in that game. Um, there were definitely missed opportunities. There was a bad interception, and that's discouraging in the first game of a long mm-hmm. season and even more discouraging when it comes against the yeah, Packers. Yeah, you said missed opportunities. Uh, pack, uh, excuse me, Bears is offseason went ahead and got dj Moore. a lot of fans excited for that and then justin fields only throws them twice uh uh over this weekend were fans upset that he didn't have more um he didn't have more receptions uh dj Moore, or at least more um you know at least more attempts to him 
Absolutely. Big topic of conversation yesterday at the Bears practice facility. You know, how do you have this star receiver that you bring in and you only target him twice? And, you know, uh, uh, look, I think that um, I think DJ Moore is obviously going to be the focal point for any defense, any team the Bears play. So it's always going to be a little more challenging to get him the ball. Um, You know, I don't think teams are that afraid of Chase Claypool on the other side. Um, so, you know, I do think it, it becomes challenging to get some of the ball when they're the focal point of the defense, but at the same time, and I really, my eyes were open listening to uh, JT O'Sullivan's podcast and watching, he did some film breakdown showing like where fields could have just let it rip and throw it to DJ Moore. Um, so again, opportunities where fields isn't, seeing, you know, that brief window and DJ Moore, you know, about to to break on his route and get open and delivering it. And Fields admitted yesterday he felt like he played too conservative and he should, you know, when there's an opportunity maybe for a 50-50 ball, let throw it, mm-hmm. cut it loose and give a guy like DJ Moore the chance to to show why he's highly paid and highly respected as one of the better receivers in the game because he's got the talent to go get that 50-50 ball. Um, but it's got to be a combination. It's got to be the the line giving Fields some time, and it's got to be Fields, you know, making that correct split-second yeah. decision as he makes the right diagnosis of the defense. And it's also got to be Fields just giving, giving more some chances. So even when – I mean, you hear people talk about it all the time. You know, in the NFL, those windows to throw the ball are so, so narrow, so small, and ha- and the decision to do it is so quick. You can't wait for someone like DJ Moore to be wide open every yep. time. You've got to anticipate him being open and throw him open. And sometimes you just got to give him a chance to make a play. I know it's week one. It's still really early, obviously. Is there any chance Matt Everflus might get fired midseason if uh, if they have a season like they did last year? I don't think so. I think, you know, he was Ryan Pohl's uh, pick as the head coach. And, you know, I, I, you know, I wonder if someone like the defensive coordinator, Alan Williams, if the defense doesn't play – up to its standard. Um, you know, the second half was was pretty bad defensively against the Packers. Some some explosive plays that went for touchdowns and big gains. So I wonder if someone like him might be in danger uh as we progress if things don't go well. But I, I don't I don't think Fluce is in any danger of losing his job. Now we say the Packers always have the Bears number, but NFC North opponents in general uh are a problem for the Bears. I know they had a you know pretty bad season last year, but they have lost 10 in a row against NFC North opponents, the Bears. What is it with the NFC North that the Bears – I mean, what the team specifically just that they have so much problems with? I mean, they play them a lot. Is that what it is? They just have a lot of film on them? They, they're very familiar with each other so people can exploit the Bears, like their weaknesses? Or, like, was there something else that makes it so the Bears just have such a hard time against NFC North opponents? Well, I mean, uh, a lot of those games are against a good Packers team with Aaron Rodgers. Um, a solid Vikings team. Um, kind of stunning to hear that. I'm trying to think, when's the last time they beat the Lions? 
I'll have, I'll have to um, look. Yeah. But, but either way, um, yeah, I mean, you bring up a good point. You know, any of those divisional games, those are going to be the teams that are most familiar with you. Um, and best able to maybe exploit any of your weaknesses. But I think it all comes back to the, the Bears haven't been very good. I mean, last year, they're, they were tied for the worst record in football. So, you know, naturally, you're losing a lot of games. Uh, the year before, underachieved um, with, with Matt Nagy in his final year of his deal. So... Honestly, more than anything, again, I think it's it's about the Bears just not being very good, not having good talent, not having good quarterback play. And especially when you're running up against, you know, a good Packers team with a Hall of Fame quarterback and a solid Vikings team with a solid quarterback and, and great offensive weapons and a solid defense, you're going to lose those games. Any chance the uh, Bears might get rid of Justin Fields? in like a year or maybe even, you know, I know he just signed a four-year contract. Obviously, I think that was like back in the summer of 21 when he signed, but what, any chance they might get rid of him? If like, just do a whole new rebuild. If, you know, this, if this year goes bad, I mean, what is it, you know, what's the future for Justin Fields? Get, get you know, get rid of him for a lot of picks, build up from the ground and kind of try again in like four years, five years. Like what is the plan going forward? If this year is, you know, kind of like a repeat of last year. Well, I don't look at the decision to keep Justin Fields or decide you want to move on uh, so much in terms of wins or losses for the Bears. I look at it more in how are you evaluating him and his play. And if you're seeing the steps that you want to see uh, in him, you know, taking, taking, taking his game to another level as a quarterback, a, a well-rounded quarterback, most notably as a passer. Uh, you know, I think that the wins and losses aren't as important, but I do think this is potentially a make or break year for Fields. Uh, you know, it's his third year. This will be his second full season in this system, running Luke Getze's offense and playing under uh, Matt Eberflus. And, you know, now after this year, you start to have to make decisions on picking up the fifth year option and on are you going to give your first round quarterback a contract extension and spend a, a, a ton of money? And that's a big investment. So I think that it's important to remember that he was not drafted by the Bears current regime. So, you know, naturally, as a human being, you're more inclined, I don't care what a GM or a coach says, I think it's just like, it's natural. You're more inclined to want to support something that you had the idea for and that you, you know, bought into and traded up to draft. So, you know, Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy, those guys aren't around. It's Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflus, and they, I don't think will feel as as devoted to um as committed to seeing it through with fields if this year doesn't go well in terms of his progression um i think it's entirely possible that if he does not have a good year if he doesn't take steps forward they decide we're not going to pick up the fifth year option and and maybe they yep. 
they use because they're going to have multiple first round picks next year. Maybe they use one of them to uh, to draft a quarterback. What do you think the biggest reason this past weekend was that they lost? I mean, there was a, I mean, the lines were not good. Uh, he was being pat, he was being rushed. The uh, Justin Fields anyhow was being you know pressured the entire time. I felt like he was on the move the entire game, running away from you know pass rushers. Their pass rushing on their side of the ball was not good for the Bears. They could have definitely you know rushed. Jordan Love a lot more. I know a lot of people were saying that was a big reason they came up short against the Packers over the weekend. Uh, I mean, they had a ton of penalties, the Bears. What what do you think was the biggest reason that they didn't come away with a win uh, on Sunday and the, the biggest thing that they had to fix up going into Tampa Bay uh, this weekend? Yes, all of the above. Is this a must-win? Must I mean, really. This weekend? Because you play uh, Kansas City at Arrowhead uh, in week three. and that, So if you lose to Tampa Bay this weekend, very possible loss week three against Kansas City. You're going into week four. Uh, you could be potentially 0-3. So is this would you consider this Tampa Bay win? I mean, I know it's still so early in the season, but you don't want to get behind in the NFC. And just what, what, I mean, is this a must win in Tampa Bay this weekend? So I'll start with this and then and then go back because I was just joking, mm-hmm. but I will I'll I'll address your question. Um, is it a must win? I mean, if you're talking about making the playoffs, yeah, probably because then you're going to Kansas City and looking at being zero and three to start the year, and that's pretty tough to come back from. But at the same time, how many people outside of the Bears locker room actually believe the Bears are a playoff team in the first place? So I mean, look from their perspective. They need to win it because they don't want to be 0-2 and, and staring down the barrel of 0-3. And, and they, of course, you know, they have a lot of pride and, and confidence and belief. So they think they can make the playoffs. And when you look at it through that lens, yeah, it's kind of a must win. But the reality is I don't personally think, and I think most people didn't expect them to be a playoff team unless everything went right this season. So it's more about looking at the development within each game as opposed to the result. And you want to see them be more competitive. I would say more than anything, you'd like to see the Bears, after being blown out by the Packers at home, you'd like to see them be competitive going on the road against the Bucs. So, and then going back to your, your previous question where I gave you the sarcastic answer, but you, know, you, you were right in everything that you said. Um, I think it starts as it does often with football, it starts, you know, in the trenches and the bears were pushed around the offensive line didn't give fields enough time. And the defensive line got zero pressure on, um, on Jordan love, you know, unique and Gakway did have one kind of coverage sack, but the bears were last in the NFL in sacks last season. And they, they didn't look much better if at all better against green Bay. So I think, yeah, I think, um, Trouble on the line of scrimmage was a problem. I think uh, giving up chunk plays, uh, especially to Aaron Jones, was an issue. I think Justin Fields not being able to identify uh, what the Packers were doing and how he can beat it was also an issue. Um, But, of course, the, the quarterback thing certainly works in tandem with the offensive line. So, yeah, I think those were, and, and you mentioned the penalties, you know, they, they were all 
harping on that in the post-game locker room. Too many penalties, too many mistakes, pre-snap penalties on offense, and then you're putting yourself behind the chains. And, and you know, th- this offense isn't good enough to survive that stuff. So a whole combination of things, a lot of things they need to get fixed if they do want to go to Tampa and be competitive because uh, the Bucks. I don't think people expected a lot from them, but they had a good week one win going into to Minnesota and, and pulling out a victory. What do you think the Bears record is going to be this year? And is that different than what it was before week one after or after last week? <laughs> I will admit my opinion has changed after watching that game. I'm not really sure how it couldn't. Um, I think I was thinking seven was a, a good number, maybe a seven and 10 team. Um, I'm wondering, are they more of a four or five win team after watching that? Now, there's a long way to go. One game doesn't define a season. One poor performance doesn't define a season. Um, but there's definitely issues that they have to address and they're not good enough and deep enough to overcome those issues if they don't get things fixed. So, yeah, I would say I, I went from kind of seven down to more, maybe four or five. Yeah. I hope covering the team that the bears are better than that. Cause it's always more fun and more interesting to cover a team that's competitive. Yeah. With Fields being so good and having so much potential, they're they're one of those teams where, like a lot of teams in the NFL, if they have one game that's different, like if they come out next week against Tampa Bay and have a completely different game, uh, you know, manhandle Tampa Bay, have a really good showing, the whole narrative is going to be completely different nationally for the Bears. Uh, you know, if they have a bad game, it's going to, you know, they're going to continue to continue on the narrative that they've had this whole week. But they're just kind of one of those very, um, what's the word, like um, kind of um, like on the verge of either being there or not there. You know what I mean? Like they're kind of, uh, yeah, they're always kind of teetering between that um, next up or it's just the same old bears. And so I think you're going to, I think you are going to see opinion for the bears kind of switch between week to week, depending on how they play that week before. I mean, what do you, what do you kind of think on that? That's how, that's how it seems nationally. Anyhow, I feel like they have one good game, they're back and then they have a bad game and now they're just the bears again that we're used to. I mean, that's just kind of how it is nationally. Do you kind of agree with that? Yeah. I mean, I think nationally, most people kind of like I alluded to earlier, don't, they don't expect a lot. Um, out of the Bears in terms of, you know, competing to win the division or making the playoffs. I think everyone's interested to see about Justin Fields' progress. Everything starts and stops with the quarterback in football, especially in the NFL. And that's what the Bears are trying to get figured out. You know, that's why there's so many questions and and every, you know, every sneeze that Fields makes is debated and evaluated. Um so I think, yeah, I think nationally, if they win this week, it's going to be talking about, you know, if it happens because Fields played well, that's going to be the focus. It's not going to be, oh, the Bears go into KC and take down the Chiefs. You know, and I mean, that's certainly uh, the confidence element will be there for the team. And, and, you know, we'll talk about that. We'll ask questions to them about, hey, does this give you, does this boost the confidence after a win? 
thinking about going to face Mahomes and the Super Bowl champs. But I, I just think, like, generally speaking, again, this season is is once again the focal point for the Bears is how does Justin Fields progress? Is Justin Fields the guy that they can continue to build around and, you know, for their sake, hopefully build a team that competes for a playoff spot next year? Let's move on to the Cubs now. Uh, Cubs have been one of the best teams since the All-Star break. Uh, they are currently four games out of the uh, NL Central and uh, I think two games uh, above the wild card spot. So that they, you know, they're two games in the wild card right now. Massive series coming, series is plural coming up. They have Diamondbacks coming up and they also have the Brewers. So the Diamondbacks, they're competing against obviously for that playoff spot. And so and the Brewers are competing against for that um, divisional spot. So, are the, I mean, the Cubs, like I said, have been one of the best teams since the All-Star break. But over these next couple of weeks, these next like 15, 16, 17, 18 games, are the Cubs the most exciting team to watch just because of how dynamic they can be in the rankings? I mean, they can go from either winning the division or even being out of the playoffs, depending on how they play these next, uh, you know, two weeks here. So they... Are they one of the most exciting teams to keep a watch on for, uh, just as a baseball fan? I would say so. Yeah, I mean, um, anytime you, you hit a couple weeks left in the season and, you know, you know that you've got a chance to play your way into the playoffs, but also if you don't take care of business, you can collapse and fall out and not make it. That's That's intriguing. And, you know, I think this Cubs team, in my opinion – has overachieved. I think um, David Ross has done a great job managing them. I think the team's resolve was outstanding mid-season to be double digits below 500 and then to go on a run right before the trade deadline to convince management not to, to disassemble the team and to trade people and to add and to, to go for it. Um, that was impressive. And I think um, I remember being in Arizona in spring training and hearing Dansby Swanson talk about he will do everything he can to instill that confidence that this team can achieve and to instill the idea that nothing matters more than winning. Um, I think he has kind of permeated the clubhouse that way in a very positive way in his first season as the Cubs shortstop after signing a big deal. I think he's been a positive influence. I think he's played well. Cody Bellinger's been unbelievable. Um, and, and, you know, Justin Steele might win the Cy Young. So they've had some really terrific individual performances and they've combined as a team, I think, to, to overachieve. And this team getting in the playoffs – That'd be impressive. Um, and like you said, you laid out the uh, the wild card standings. They're, they are tracking the playoffs right now as long as they don't you know, really have a, a rough final couple of weeks. Yeah, best um, run differential in the NL. Uh, 93 plus run differential. Uh, like I said, the best team in the NL right now. You always hear about the pitch, uh, the bullpen, though. If they have any chance of making it in the playoffs, making a deep run in the playoffs, once they, you know, if, if they do make the playoffs, how's the bullpen looking um, for the Cubs? Uh, are they 
competitors? I mean, are they are they pretty deep? Do they have enough people that would be able to last a long uh, postseason run? Like, just w- take me through how the Cubs look. You know, if they were to make the playoffs, uh, how what's the status of them looking on that uh, on the pitching side of things? I think that's a question that a lot of people have because it's it's a younger bullpen. And you've got a uh, an Adbert Alzali, a closer who's on the younger side, um, and so that always becomes a little bit of a question mark in a playoff chase, and then into October. Um, so you know what happens with the bullpen is 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 up in the air and remains to be seen. But listen, they've been able to navigate the season with the bullpen that they have to this point. So, you know, who's to say they can't continue down that road here towards the end of the season and into October. Yeah. And I know um, you just called up somebody, Pete Armstrong from, um, uh, yeah, you just called him up from the minors. A lot of hype with him. I know the fans are really liking him. Uh, He's playing in the outfield now, uh, doing a really good job. Tell me about Pete Armstrong, just kind of the uh, reception he's gotten from the fans uh, since he's been called up. Yeah, Pete Crow Armstrong. Um, they got him from the Mets when they sent Javi Baez there. And um, top-ranked prospect in the system. And can really go get it in the outfield already. He's impressed with some catches out there. And it'll be fun when, when he gets to play his first home game at Wrigley. Um, but a lot of excitement around him. And it's always fun when you add those top prospects, you know, late in the season as you're chasing the playoffs, those, those, not only are they talented, but I almost feel like sometimes they're too naive to know exactly what they're stepping into. And that's a good thing. It's like the pressure doesn't, you know, maybe doesn't get to them. It doesn't land as, as hard with them as it does with someone else who's, who's been there before and they're able to help you on the road to the playoffs or doing some damage in the playoffs. So It'll be exciting to, to watch him continue to play and progress here as the season goes on. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think they're about hovering around 10 in the power rankings I've seen, you know, athletic ESPN. Do you think they're a top 10 team personally? Hmm. I'd say that's a, a fair spot right about there. Yeah. yeah. As a team that's, you know, tracking the playoffs not a division winning team or at the moment, but tracking the playoffs. I think that's well, fair. Regardless, definitely, definitely higher than people would have thought they would have been this year. I don't, I, you know, beginning of the year, people would not even have thought Cubs would be in playoff contention at this time of the year. And now, like I said, they, if things would end, if things ended today, I believe they would play the Phillies in the first round and then they would actually have to play the Braves uh, in the second round. So it wouldn't be, uh, let's, let's hope for the Cubs sake, uh, the playoffs, you know, things don't stay the same as they are right now, uh, you know, heading into October because they're going to have a tough, a tough playoff run uh, once, once that does start. I want to talk about the last thing, uh, the big news in Chicago. Uh, we can kind of breeze, breeze through this a little bit. I know it's not really in season right now, but Connor Bedard uh, toted to be probably one of the best uh, hockey players Ever, I mean, ever taken in the draft, maybe ever, people are saying. I, I know the hype around him is just amazing. Tell me about just the fan reception for Connor Bedard. I mean, how excited are fans to see him play? How excited are fans 
for hockey to get back here. I know, I mean, I think it was what, like the season tickets sold out within, I don't even, it, it was something ridiculous. I, I actually don't know the number off the top of my head, but the, the amount of tickets that were bought and season tickets that were purchased when they did get Connor Bedard, it was just amazing. And so the hype must be ama- out there for him. And I just want to hear your thoughts on just kind of what you've been hearing from the fans and how excited uh, they are to see him get on the ice. I don't envy Connor Bedard because the pressure is and the hype is just astronomical. Fans are definitely pumped to see this kid play. Yeah, you mentioned it. Lots of season tickets sold uh, when they won the lottery and everyone knew he was going to draft. They were going to draft him. And um, I remember being at uh, the Hawks draft party the night that they took Bedard officially. And a couple minutes later, they unveiled his jersey. And all of a sudden, hundreds of fans are running, 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 running over to line up and buy his jersey. Um, I think you're going to see a lot of Bedard jerseys around town and at the United Center. And people are, people, look, he's been touted, like you said, as, you know, a generational talent and, um, you know, one of the next stars of the NHL, if not the brightest star in the league. So people, people are expecting a lot from him. Kid's 18 years old. Um, you know, I hope people will be a little patient, but you know, they've also seen someone like Patrick Kane get drafted first overall, um, a decade and a half ago and step in and quickly help the Hawks turn into uh, a multi-time Stanley cup winning team. So the expectations are going to be there. Um, I think from everything I've heard, you know, Bedard is really dialed in and grounded and equipped to handle all that. Um, it's certainly not going to be easy to fulfill the expectations and the hype, but um, hopefully he can come close because if he's anywhere near as good as the hockey experts say he's going to be, it is going to be a blast to watch this kid get out there and skate and score. Yeah, you might not know this. I don't know if you, you can't read the minds of the coaches, but does he have any interest in playing in the preseason or are we not going to see him until October 10th when the, they open up against the Penguins in Pittsburgh? I don't know. They just yeah. got into their uh, prospect camp. So he's he's actually on the ice here in Chicago. But I can't imagine that he wouldn't play in the preseason and, and then play uh, with his first experience in the NHL being Good point. stepping on the ice for, for the regular season opener. That, that wouldn't make sense to me. Any, uh, what's the overall outlook? Just as a general question, I don't want to be too general. But what's the overall outlook for the Blackhawks this season? Just, I mean, outside of Bedard, of course, but I mean, there's playoff. Cont- I mean, are, are fans hoping for the playoffs or is that still a little bit too, uh, too much of a fanfare? What, what's the feeling on that? Yeah, I think it's uh, the realistic thought is continuing to improve and giving Bedard a chance to get his feet wet. Um, And, you know, they brought in some veterans that'll help mentor him. And, you know, I think that uh, I think this is a team that, you know, they really tore it down. And I think that uh, they're excited about where they're headed, but they're not. They're not headed for the playoffs just yet. I think it's I think it's going to be a season again of growth and 
next steps. And then uh, hopefully similar to the Bears, you know, they're they're hitting the offseason and looking forward to the following season as, you know, really realistically a playoff team. The Blackhawks fans are, uh, they're patient right now. That's a good word to describe them is they're being patient. They're not, they're not expecting the world. To <laughs> I don't know. Bedard. I don't know about, I don't know that they're patient. But they don't expect. I don't the know that they're patient, but uh, um, I think I think for those who are really thinking realistically, you know, they know that Bedard is as eighteen years old, getting started, and uh, the rest of the team taking the next step. That you know, probably take another year before that's the case okay well it all it all starts on october 10th when like i said they head over to pittsburgh and uh play the penguins i'm excited i'm i'm getting into hockey more and more over the last like three four years i'm excited to see him personally um you always like hearing when a once in a lifetime generation comes into play and you know it's always fun to see if they actually can live up to that hype or uh they end up becoming uh forgotten hero but well time will tell right we we can't really uh we don't know yet and we don't know until he starts playing but time time will tell mike this has been awesome i really appreciate your time this has uh been a you know great interview we love uh insights into the bears cubs and uh even uh even bedard here as we get in the get in the hockey season in less than a month especially preseason i think the first i think preseason starts in on the 28th actually of September. So only like uh, two more weeks until hockey's here. Uh, and yeah, bowls will be just around the corner as well. Yeah. But this, this is probably my favorite time of the year where all these sports start to intersect and we got a lot going on. And um, yeah, it's exciting when you got a guy like Bedard, who, even if you don't think the Hawks are going to be that good every night, you want to turn on that TV and watch him and see what he's able to do. And even for the Bears, if when they may not be winning, every game you want to see how's Fields playing. Is he taking those steps? Um, and then, yeah, we talked Cubs chasing a playoff spot. So lots of, if the wins and losses aren't there, still a lot of interest, as there always is here um, in Chicago for our sports teams. All right, and good luck to the Bulls, too. We didn't really talk about them too much, but hopefully they can uh, make a showing and. At least make the play-in tournament. We'll see. I know it's uh, the East is actually. I would say the East is actually more of the dominant uh, conference now in the NBA. It used to be the West. I think the East has actually taken over that over the last uh, couple of years. Um, but yeah, Mike. Like I said, this has been amazing. We'll definitely do this again, and we'll have to have you on again uh, sometime very soon. Okay. Thank you for having me. Loved the chat, and um, we will talk soon. That sounds right, great. Until then, take care. All right. Okay. You too. Okay, let's finish the show with Off the Map and Long Hauls of the Week. Zach, who's your Off the Map of the Week? Uh, my Off the Map of the Week is right now the uh, the Tennessee-Florida rivalry because this was for a very long time the biggest rivalry in the SEC. And you look at what happened over the last 15 years or so, not a whole lot of national championship importance on either side. Tennessee hasn't won one since 98. Florida hasn't won one since 08. 
and they no longer are playing every year for the SEC East title, the right to go to the SEC championship game, all that kind of stuff. Tennessee hasn't won in Gainesville in 20 years since 2003. I think they're going to end that on Saturday. But Billy Napier and the Gators have a lot of problems. They just lost to Utah in the opener, and they look like a very undisciplined team in the process. This is a robbery that was near the top of the food chain in college football for about a 10, 15-year stretch. Now it is just another average football game that nobody's really paying a whole lot of attention to this week because Tennessee's good, Florida's not, and nobody expects much out of the series. My off the map of the week is Savannah Bananas will have a exhibit at the uh, basketball, uh, Baseball Hall of Fame excuse me, in Cooperstown. And they actually will play a game uh, this Friday, or uh, they're playing a game, we're recording this on Friday, they're playing a game tonight uh, in honor of this new exhibit at the Hall of Fame. Started as an idea for an exhibit, now like I said, turned into a game. 6,500 tickets sold out in minutes. Uh, the president of the Hall of Fame, uh, Josh Walrich, Walrich, called the team a phenomenon that is helping attract younger, less uh, traditional crowds with shenanigans such as player on stilts and outs being counted when a fan catches a foul ball. He loves it. He's a, this is a, a lot of, a lot of people like this for baseball. Like I said, it's bringing in a whole new crowd that MLB just doesn't bring in Uh, among the roles for this, uh, for this league, two hour time limit on games, no bunting batters, having the option of trying to steal first, no stepping out of the box, no mound visits and scoring system that awards, a point to the team that puts up the most runs each inning. Yeah, I'm, I'm all for this. Not many people talking about this, but Savannah Bananas, uh, over the last three, four years, slowly gaining attraction, and now they're going to have an exhibit in the uh, Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, so good for them. Let's move on to long haul. Zach, who was your long haul of the week? My long haul of the week is going to be, what do the television execs do with the Jets in prime time? Are they going to keep them there, or are they going to try and flex out as soon as they can? I don't think it's as much of a slam dunk that they're going to get flexed out because the Jets are still a very good defensive team. They can run the ball, and I think this team's still going to be playing for a playoff spot. And as long as they're still playing for a playoff spot and you've got the New York market, they're going to want to capitalize on that. They're going to want to keep them in prime time. So. It, there's a possibility that one game gets flexed out, but I don't think it's going to be many. I think Jets Raiders will probably get flexed out because I don't know how good the Raiders will be. But I think for the most part, the Jets primetime games are actually going to stay. I don't think this is going to be a repeat of the Broncos last year where they were just an unwatchable team. I think the Jets are still watchable, even with Zach Wilson. And of course, as I mentioned, with the big New York TV market, that is going to be something that the major networks want to hold on to. So the long haul, the Jets primetime, not Probably not getting flexed out the way people might think. My long haul is kind of similar uh, in a media in a media sense. There's going to be big noon kickoff and ESPN College Game Day. Both will be at Colorado this weekend when Colorado uh, faces Colorado State. Um, yeah, it's just I didn't I didn't even know that was possible. I didn't know big noon kickoff and College Game Day could also be at the same site and competing against each other for uh, for that uh, for that airtime. Fox was supposed to be at Penn State in Illinois this weekend, but they did cancel, of course, to go to Colorado. ESPN uh, had it planned the entire time. But, yeah, now uh, Fox and ESPN going to be competing this weekend uh, at Colorado uh, for the, for airtime and for media availability. And uh, that's going to be – yeah, we'll see how that kind of turns out. But, hey, good for Colorado getting the recognition they deserve after week two of uh, college uh, football. 
They've done it before. I mean, game day in, Big Noon have gone to Ohio State games or Michigan games or whatever. But it's a, as you said, it's a rare. Yeah, game. I mean, how does that even work? I mean, do they just like I? I always thought it was a contract thing. So if one was going to, you know, if one was going to a game, another couldn't. I, I actually never really knew they could both be at a game at the same time. No, I don't think there's anything in the deal. I think they were allowed to go wherever they want, in both mm-hmm. cases. Well, hey, we'll see. Uh, which one are you going to watch? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Yeah, we'll we'll see. see. Yeah, right? I'm not a pregame guy, mostly, yeah, anyway. True. All right, man. Well, it's a good show. Uh, thanks, uh, thanks everyone, for listening. We'll be back on Tuesday. Um, Brian Chable canceled last week talking about Colorado. He's going to, you know, Hopefully, Colorado has another good showing this weekend. Blows out Colorado State. Continues their dominance heading into week four. Next week, we're, like I said, Brian Chable had to cancel last week. We're going to try to have him on next week and some other guests as well. Someone from Minnesota uh, and some other uh, really good guests, too. So that's all coming up next week. Like I said, see you Tuesday. But until then, uh, keep on traveling.